You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. First John chapter 2, verses 7-11 through 11 is where we'll be this morning. We already read it. I remember an ad from a few years back that went something like this. Nothing says I love you quite like a diamond. And I'm thankful that I'm married to a woman who's fine with me saying I love you with chocolate. <laughs> I think most women probably are. Some women may prefer flowers or pedicures, or, and all of which I'm perfectly okay with as long as she doesn't expect a diamond every time I'm expressing my love to her. Guys are easier, aren't we? We're willing to have someone tell us, I love you with food, specifically meat or duct tape. So one of the two, you know, we all have different love languages and we all communicate love in different ways. I remember reading the book, the five love languages and how there are five primary ways to communicate love or five ways that certain people uh, express love or, or even receive love. And you have those that uh, their, their love languages are word, words of affirmation. Uh, some, their, their love languages are love languages an act of service. For some, you've got those that are, they receive gifts or give gifts. That's their love language. For others, it's quality time. For others, it's physical touch. We all have different ways to express and receive love. And I was thinking about even those five love languages. And I think even in my family, I see very clearly... All five of those expressed in different ways from one member of the family or another. Uh, we all have different ways that we express love or receive love. And it, it's good for us to understand each other in those ways, uh, especially within our own families. Parents, it's good for us to understand those. Husbands, wives, it's good for, under, for us to understand those things. Communicating love in a family setting is a major theme, not only in the Christian life, but in 1 John. John uses many key words here. He talks about the word know. He uses that often. He uses the word fellowship often. He uses the word abide. He uses the word children. He uses the word commandment. He uses the word world. He uses the word dark and light. But there is one key word that he uses the most out of every word that he uses a lot in the book of 1 John. And that is the word, what word do you think it is? It's word love. He uses the word love 46 times in, I believe, 26 verses in this very short letter. He uses the word love. And if we consider that John is trying to help the readers know what kind of traits are most evident in God's family, I believe it's probably safe to assume that love should be at the top of the list. So rather than saying nothing says love quite like diamonds or nothing says love quite like chocolate, or nothing says love quite like flowers, or for the guys, nothing says love quite like food, like meat. We might would say that, that nothing says family quite like love. Nothing says family quite like love. In other words, there should be no more defining characteristic of your family of God's family, than the word love. And we realize and remember that this is a 
letter written to family. Verse 7, he starts with the word brethren. It's a family letter. And then he says, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. So what John is about to deal with is something that in principle God's people had known for a long time. And it gets a little bit confusing, so bear with me here. We know by reading ahead, John's dealing with the subject of love, and that's what he's about to get to. And, and John wrote in his gospel, in chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So this is John's way, as, as he had written even about Jesus in John 13, when he says a new commandment, He's talking about love. When Jesus said a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, uh, that you also love one another, it's obviously this is all about love. He's talking about love, and when he uses that term, new commandment, we know he's about to talk about love, but some of the things that he said in his language here is a little bit confusing. So I want to clarify that. In verse 7, he writes, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. But look down in verse 8, he says, Again, a new commandment I write unto you, um, which thing is true in him. Verse 7, actually, go back to verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have, had, have heard from the beginning. And so he's, he's kind of talking about two things. He's saying, I'm writing a new commandment, but in some ways it's an old commandment. It's a new commandment, but it's old. And so my mind, when I read this, is he contradicting himself? Um, and we know he's in his 90s. Maybe he's forgotten what he's writing, and maybe he's not thinking clearly. But is he writing about something old, or is he writing about something new? Well, the answer is yes. So if you're not confused, then we can move on. But if you are confused, here's the answer. John is correct in saying that the commandment to love is an old commandment from the beginning. We could turn in Levit to Leviticus, we won't, but we could turn to Leviticus 19 and we could read that in verse 7 it says, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. And that's a tough commandment if you have a brother. <laughs> but in verse 19.7 in of Leviticus, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. We could go to verse 18 then, the next verse, and read that it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So this is an old commandment. Because the, the Jews that were reading the letter here, they had heard this their whole lives. They had heard, oh, you're not supposed to hate your brother. They had heard, you shall love your neighbor. They had heard it their whole lives. And so in that sense, it is an old commandment. It's something that we're very familiar with. Loving your neighbor is not some new concept. It's not like you were allowed to hate your brother in the Old Testament. But when Jesus came, he changed it all. No, it's an old commandment. But Jesus, or, but John, Jesus called it a new commandment. In John 13, and John writes in verse 8 as well, again, a new commandment I write unto you. So how is it old and new? Well, this I want you to get this because it really provides force to the rest of the text. See, it's, it's old because it's an old commandment they had always heard, but it's new in this sense. It's new in the sense that the commandment had been raised to a whole new level with Jesus Christ. So it was old in that they knew it, but when Christ came, he expressed it in a way they had never seen before. No one had ever displayed love in the way that Jesus Christ did. And I think we can safely assume that men did not even really know what love was until they saw Jesus Christ live it out. So it's old in the sense that their whole lives, they had been told, you should not hate your brother in your heart, you should love your neighbor. 
and for years and centuries, uh, they had tried to live that out. They had tried to love their neighbor like they should. They had tried to resist the urge to hate their brother. But really, in our finite, sinful bodies, we really can only do that to a certain level. But then, along comes Jesus Christ, and that old commandment that seemed almost impossible for most of their lives, suddenly they're seeing it lived out in a way they'd never seen it before. And now they know what it looks like to love your neighbor. They know what it looks like to love people unconditionally. And and they'd seen it in Jesus Christ's life. And then he says in verse 8, this is really very good. He says again, a, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him, that's Jesus Christ, and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. What I want, I want you to catch this. Before Christ came, God's people knew they were commanded to love. They knew where they were to love their neighbor. They knew they weren't supposed to hate their brother, but they never really seen it perfectly expressed. But when Christ came, it's like he came and turned the lights on. They knew kind of in the dark, we're supposed to love our, our neighbor. We're supposed to love our brother. And they tried and they tried and they couldn't in their finite selves do it. But when Christ came, it's like he turned the lights on and they could finally see it expressed. I remember the first time as, as a young teenager, uh, we used to go to Silver State Baptist Youth Camp in Colorado. And I, I lived in Wyoming and we would drive. And, and the first time I ever went, we, we drove, we left after church on a Sunday afternoon and and then we drove and we got there. By the time we got there, it was dark. And I remember looking around and saying, everybody talks about this like it's such a pretty place, but, you know, it's, I don't really see it. Of course, it's dark. Duh. But I was 13. My brain hadn't fully developed yet. So, sorry, you 13-year-olds down here. They didn't even know that was, uh, you know, uh, a slam. So, I'm good. So... I remember that night we got to Silver State and I was thinking, oh, it's it's nice. I mean, I see a few pine trees over there. But the next morning when I woke up uh, to that crisp, cold Colorado air and stepped outside of that cabin, I finally saw the beauty that everyone had been talking about. There's mountains and there's trees and, and it's just a beautiful place. And maybe you've done that before where you drive in someplace at night and you don't really understand the beauty, but when you wake up in the morning, it's like the lights come on. That's what happened with Jesus Christ. See, all the commandments that they had heard their whole lives, like love your brother, love your neighbor, they had tried, but it kind of been feeling their way in the dark. But when Jesus Christ came, he talks about, John mentions this, he says that that darkness that used to be there, well, now there's a light shining. He turned the lights on. In, In a very similar way, you've probably done this before, maybe you've sat through some piano recitals in your life. I've sat through many piano recitals in my time. And I love little children learning the piano, but after a while, you can only hear so many third grade versions of Fur Elise. La 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 da 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 Ah, never mind, skip it. Okay, go move on. Fur Elise is that song by Beethoven. And, and when you hear it, a third grader play it at a recital, it means one thing, you know, it's nice, and, and they're learning, and it sounds good, But if you were to have sat down uh, a few hundred years ago in in the same room as Beethoven as he wrote it and he played it for the first time, I think that song would have a whole new meaning for you. I've heard a master, a concert pianist, play that song before. and, And as good as I like the recital pieces, it sounds nothing like the recital piece. Because in the hands of someone who can really master it, it takes on a whole new meaning. 
See, those commandments to love your neighbor and not hate your brother, they were played in the dark. And then when Christ came, John's saying there was darkness, but now a true light shineth. He turned the lights on, and now you can see what it's supposed to be like. So it's a new, an old commandment and that they had known it, but it's a new commandment and that the love they saw in Christ was different than the love they'd ever seen in anyone else before. It's also a new commandment and that they now understood how far love was supposed to reach. When Christ came to Israel, the Pharisees hated sinners. Hey, we, we understand this, that when Christ came on the scene in the New Testament, there's a group of religious leaders, and they were the ones that everybody looked to as being the religious ones and the ones that you respect and the ones that teach, but they hated sinners. They shunned the prostitutes. They spit on the tax collectors. That's what the Pharisees did. Well, William Barclay uh, writes that certain Pharisees even said this, there will be joy in heaven over one sinner who's obliterated before God. That's the idea, uh, that's the mentality that the religious leaders of Christ's day had. But when Christ came, he said, no, 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 there'll be joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over 99 just persons which need no repentance. So he came conflicting uh, in conflict with what they were saying. So Christ's expression of love was also new in the sense that the Jews had never seen anyone love those kinds of people. So yes, it says that you should not hate your brother. Well, he's my brother. It said you should love your neighbor. Well, that's my neighbor. When Christ came, he said, no, love goes far beyond that. Now love is that you are to love sinners. You are to love the prostitutes. You are to love the, the, the publicans. You are to love the tax collectors. You are to love the ones that nobody else loves. That's the level of love that Jesus Christ came teaching. So it was, it was an old commandment, but it was new in the sense that they seen Christ live it out. And now they're also see, they saw that Christ loved people that were unlovely. So it's an old commandment, but it's a new commandment. I think we're getting that. When Christ came, it was God so loving the world. It wasn't just loving your neighbor. It was God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son. And it was his son loving sinners the same way. Now, it's amazing that nothing done to Christ could turn his love into hatred. You know, we forget that Jesus Christ was treated more unfairly, and I can say this justifiably, more unfairly than anyone has ever been treated. But he never stopped loving. And that kind of love is what John is using to make his point, his point to the members of the family. And, and that's why I wanted to explain all that, because I want you to see... This is more than just, oh, okay, love your brothers. No, this is, this is, there's something interesting here, too. Look at verse 8. Again, I, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you. So the kind of love that Christ has is now in members of the family. He says the, the thing that was true in Christ is now true in you. Paul wrote in Romans 5, 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So, the same love that Christ had has been implanted into you if you're a member of the family. The same love that Christ had has been implanted into me by the Holy Ghost, and it further cements the thought that he said up in verse 6, when he, read, he said, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. 
So family member, you have no excuse not to love the brethren. Because Christ came and he showed us what love looks like. And in showing us what love looks like, he gave us an example on how we ought to walk. And then Paul said that once we got saved, the Holy Ghost sheds his love abroad in our hearts. And then here in verse 8, John even said that thing that was true in Christ is now true in you. So the love that Christ had has been implanted in our hearts as members of the family. And so I can say this with full confidence. As members of the family, we have no excuse not to love the brethren because the same love for all that Christ had displayed while he lived on this earth has been both planted in us and commanded of us. So when we come to verse 9, it provides force to John's exhortation. He's not writing these next few verses without context in some vacuum. He's not just saying, oh yeah, I love the brethren. No, he's saying, because of all these things, because of Christ, because of what he's given to you, because of the old and new commandment, because it's been shed abroad, because what's true in him is now true in you, now you must love the brethren. It starts with a familiar phrase to us in verse 9, he that saith. Now, we've, we've already read this many times in our first couple of chapters in 1 John as we go through this series. And most of the time when it says, he that saith, it's someone saying, well, I have fellowship with God, but they really don't. They walk in darkness and they lie. Or I say that I have no sin. No, we're deceiving ourselves. Or I say that I have not sinned. Well, we're making God a liar. Or he that saith, I know him, but keepeth not his commandments. Well, he is not, he's a liar. That's mostly what it's been so far. Well, now we have this he that saith in verse 9, and it's a little different. See, all the other he that saith to this point have been, uh, uh, you say one thing, but you're doing another. Well, now he's giving a commandment, and now he that saith is supposed to affect our interactions with other people. Before, it was just, I say that I have no sin, but I'm walking in darkness. Well, now, it's if you say that you're a member of the family, he said, this is different. If you say that you walk in the light but you hate your brother, you're in darkness. See, this is no longer just personal evidence. This is no longer internal. It's no longer, well, me just lying to everybody. No, this is now how I start to deal with people. He's transitioned from personal evidence and sin and obedience to now examining evidence of how we treat others. And he uses very clear imagery here. See, I I want you to understand, John has taken it a step up. We could say it this way in today's vernacular, John's about to get real. Because all those other times that you say you have no sin and you're just, that you're walking in darkness, you're just, you're a liar and you're doing not the truth. Well, now John's saying, now we're about to start examining how you interact with other people. You can't really deny this one. In other words, if you say that you are in the light and yet you hate your brother, he's saying you're in darkness. Now, one thing I want to be careful of, well, on this on this one side, you have light. On the other side, you have darkness. Verse 10, he says, on, so in verse 10, he says, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there's none occasion of stumbling. So we can assume then that on one side, you have those that are in the light. If those that are in the light, they love. They love their brothers. The opposite would be that those that are in the dark hate their brother. So there's a very clear line, isn't there? This is, this is two very clear categories. This is not blurring any lines here. He said, over here is love and light. 
Over here is hate and darkness. There's no blurring. There's light and there's darkness. There's love and there's hate. There's no... He's not saying, now, if it's partially lit, if the lighting is dim, then you kind of love your brother. No, he said there's light and darkness. If we're talking about the sun and the moon, he's, not, he's, he's saying there's no, there's no dusk here. There's no, well, sunset. There's not, it's not sunrise. No, it's either light or darkness. He very clearly defines it in two very clear categories, light or darkness, day or night, love or hate. And I find that interesting because John is basically saying there's no state of indifference here. He's, he's basically saying if there's a lack of love, you're in darkness. If there's a lack of love, you're just as much in the middle of the night in darkness as someone that hates their brother. There's no indifference. There's no in-between. That's how active love is supposed to be. So you can say that you walk in the light and you can say that you live a life that pleases God, but if you hate your brother or you don't actively love your brother, John says that you are in darkness. We could call this a test. And John's given us a few tests so far. The tests that we've seen are, even in this chapter, the test of obedience up there in verse 3, do we obey God's word? The test of consistency in verse 4. Are we hypocrites? Do we say one thing and do the other? The test of maturity in verse 5. Have we grown to be like Christ? The test of imitation, verse 6. Do we walk like Jesus Christ? And now we could call this a test of love. Do we love others the way that Christ loved others? And this is a tough test. Test of love, I mean, when you take a test in school, it's supposed to reveal whether or not you know the material. Some teachers, they use tests to stump the students, and those are the teachers nobody likes. But, but a teacher, a good teacher, will give a test to reveal or indicate if the student has learned the material. Not try to trip them up, and not try to trick them, but just to say, here's a test, I want to see if you know it. Well, this is a test of love. And listen, John is not making accusations. I want you to be mindful of that here. He's not making blanket statements. He's not jumping to conclusions. He's not treating anyone unfairly. He's not even trying to get them to doubt their position in Christ. We, we know based on other parts of First John that he's likely even referring to false teachers who had left the family and he's using them as examples to the, lead, to the readers. So one thing I want you to be careful of is to not think that I'm trying to get you to doubt your position in Christ. That's not John's purpose. John's not trying to say, I'm going to trip them up, I'm going to make them doubt themselves. No, John's saying, no, you know all those false teachers that, that have left? Those ones that, that said they were part of the family, but they're not? Let's, let's test them. And we'll test them with their maturity. We'll test them with their obedience. We'll test them with their imitation. We'll test them with, with their love. And as he goes through here, it's less a test for the reader as much as it is, no, this is a general indicator, especially about the ones that have left, that they were never part of the family. But as we go through here, I don't want us to miss the fact that these are still family traits. And as such being family traits, they still should apply to us. We still need to say, do I love like I'm supposed to? Because according to this passage, whether it's applying to the reader or applying to those that have left, 
here's, the, the, here's what the text is saying. You can tell where a person stands with God based on their level of love for others. You can tell where a person stands with God based on their level of love for other people. And I'm not standing up here making accusations. If John was referring to false teachers who had left and applies this test to them, I don't want to overstep his bounds. But if we're talking about family traits, which is what we're talking about, and if we're simply looking at evidence, it's not bad for me then to stop and say, wait, do I pass the test of love? I can't just apply this to other people. See, John didn't, the Bible's never just written, we're very good at applying it to everybody else. Say, boy, I sure wish they had been here for that message this morning. They really needed that message on on pride. Well, maybe you needed the message on pride. We're very good at applying messages and applying sermons and applying truth to other people, uh, but that's not the point here. We need to look inward. And let me just remind you what Christ said in John 13. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. And he says in verse 35 then, but by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. We can't get around this today. The world will know we belong to Christ when we demonstrate his love. Love is the only family marker that Jesus would tell the world that says we follow him. It's the only marker that Christ said, if you have this, they'll know you follow me. It's the only one he said that about. Love is our most visible defining characteristic. It is, according to Christ, at the very center of our family traits. Eastside Baptist Church this morning, the clearest marker that confirms our standing in the family is our love for one another. If someone misses this one, they miss the mark. They miss what matters the most. We're commanded to walk like Christ walked. How did he walk? In love. God's attribute of love has been implanted in our hearts, shed abroad in our hearts. Jesus Christ came and he treated others in a way no one else had ever attempted to. How? With love. That which is true in him is true in us too. What does John mean by that in verse 8? Well, Christ's love is in us. Jesus Christ breathed life into the commandments given long, long ago by living them out in a way no one had ever seen them. He turned on the lights. What kind of trait did he reveal the most? Well, love for others. He said people will know us by this one quality in John 13. What quality? Love. The case has been made. The evidence is obvious. There's no way around it. A person without love reveals that they are not part of the family. There are a lot of markers out there. There are a lot of peripheral markers in the family. There are a lot of things that we say, well, I'm part of the family because of this. Because I, because I dress this way, or I come to every service, or I'm a, I've been a member this long, or I teach this class, or I have these things. And these are our markers. And if you can imagine, there are peripheral markers all around the room, all around the, on the walls. And I would call, these, call that living in the margins, See, we're very good at saying, well, that marker over there, I've taught a Sunday school class for five years. But honestly, teaching a Sunday school class wasn't mentioned one time in the New Testament as a marker that you're part of the family. Now, should you teach a Sunday school class? Yes, if you're qualified and you have a heart for children and you want to serve and you want to be a help, teach a Sunday school class. But that qualifier, that characteristic, that trait is a marginal trait. 
If you're relying on that, you're living in the margins. No, what's at the very center of revealing whether or not we're part of the family, right here in the core, right here in the middle, love. You can't fake this one. You can't work your way around it. All of the margins are there, and those are easier to grab onto. But when we really stop and examine ourselves from the inside out, at the very core of my life as a Christian is not why I wear suits to church. At the very core of my life as a Christian is how much love do I display? How much love is truly there? I'm not talking about marginal traits. I'm not talking about marginal characteristics. I'm talking about what John and Jesus Christ both call the very core characteristic of a child of God and that is love. And yet, look around at churches. A lot of churches struggle with a lot of things. What do they struggle with the most? Well, very often they struggle with infighting and pettiness and jealousy and drama and jockeying for position and gossip and talking bad about each other and competition and hatred. I've heard about it far too often for me to stand up here and say, well, the, the American church environment, the American church culture is in really good shape because we hear about it all the time. That's why we've got multiple churches that started as one, even in Sioux Falls. We've got a split over here and a split over there and one down there and one over there because of this one characteristic. They had all the marginal things living in the margins and it looked good, but at the very core of their Christianity, at the very core of that church's glue should have been love, and the fact that they split proves that it wasn't. And that sums up how a person that claims to be a member of the family deals with others. Hatred, pettiness, jealousy, infighting, competition, hatred, talking bad about each other. If that sums up the way a family member behaves, the only assumption that we can make from First John chapter 2, based on the evidence, is that they dwell in darkness. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, But he that hateth his brothers in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. So as clearly as Christ turned on the lights when it comes to expressing love, we can come back through and turn off the lights by doing the opposite. I'm not accusing, I'm not indicting, and I know this is a hard message for a Sunday morning, and I'm supposed to be much nicer to this on Sunday mornings, and I'm sorry. I'm just giving you what the text says today. I'm not making an indictment. I'm simply saying this is the test. But if the results show evidence of darkness, let the exam be your revealer. Sure, this applies to false teachers that have left. He's not trying to get them to doubt themselves, but it is still a family trait. Love is a family trait. And we as God's people need to look at the evidence in our lives and determine if we examine the core family trait. Don't assume you're fine because you grew up in church or made an early profession. Don't assume you're good just because you've held a position in church for a long time or you get along outwardly with all the others and you're living in the margins. Don't assume that any of that means anything. We are testing ourselves today based upon love. And what I'm saying is most Christians subject themselves to the wrong tests when determining just how much like Christ they really are. They're looking at those margins and they're, they're looking at the wrong things when deciding if, if they truly bear the marks of a family member. 
There's no better test according to Christ himself and the Apostle John than the one of love toward others. So this morning, forget status and forget appearances. Ignore longevity. Look past positions. Stop focusing on polish. Stop looking at the shine and being oppressed. Look at the evidence that John declares is their love. Because he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that saith he is in the light and yet slanders his brother at church He's in darkness even until now. She that saith she is in the light and speaks evil of a fellow church member is in darkness even until now. He that saith he is in the light yet treats his neighbor with indifference is in darkness until now. She that saith she is in the light yet ignores her sister before and after church is in darkness even until now. He that saith he is in the light, yet can't stand a person sitting across the sanctuary from him is in darkness even until now. They that say they're in the light and yet treat others in public with impatience, using hateful words, are in darkness even until now. For those that say they're in the light, yet most of the church knows that those two just don't get along and those two just don't work together, they are in darkness even until now. Now I'm not saying that you're in darkness, I'm simply implementing certain terms and placing it into the text that John, that John wrote because it helps us to see. Now listen, I am in the light. I know that I'm in the light, but there have been times where I've treated a brother or sister even in this place without love and that's a work or a mark of darkness and that's the last thing that I want to do. So God, forgive me for, lit, for, for acting as though I dwell in darkness because I know I don't. Help me, Lord. Help me, Father, to not uh, live or act in such a way that someone else would assume that I hate them based on my words. That someone else would assume that I don't like them based on how I treat them after church. That someone else wouldn't assume that I hate them based on how I deal with them at the drive-thru when they get my order wrong. You talk about testing someone's light and darkness. You have one job. Yet you know what? As a family member, I have one job. And my one job at the very core, the very center of my life as a family member is not my suit or my position. It's not my status in the church. It's not my longevity. It's not how long I've been on the church roll. It's how much love do I show my brothers and sisters and my neighbors. Because Jesus Christ showed love not to, just, not to those who just were part of the same church family. Jesus Christ showed love to those that no one else would even talk to. So just look at the evidence today. I don't just mean how you feel the word is agape. It means selfless, sacrificial action for the good of someone else. I don't mean, well, I feel gushy about people at church. No, what do your actions say? How, much, how involved are you? When there's a work day, do you come? When there's something to be done, do you jump in? Uh, do you know the needs of the family members and then try to meet them however you can? 
More than how you feel, what do your actions say? Because here's the main point of all this, is that your relationship with others directly reflects your relationship with God. Your relationship with others, according to the text here, your relationship with others directly reflects your relationship with God. Because if you're in the light, that means you have a relationship with God. And if my relationship with God is in the light, I'm going to love. But if I'm not in the light, it means I don't have a relationship with God. And that means my works will be works of hatred. So my works, my love, is directly reflective of my relationship with God. You can't hide it. The story of your relationship with God is told every day through your interactions with other people. The expressions of your relationship with God are manifest in your interactions with others. If there's love, you're in the right, in the light. If there's hatred, what's the evidence say? According to verse 11, if you walk in darkness, it means you stumble around aimlessly. You've got no direction. You have no hope for a good ending. In other words, you can have a lot of the Christian life, but if you miss what it means to live a life of love, you've missed what matters the most. Your relationship with others reflects the health of your relationship with God. And men, if you find yourself struggling to get along with others, and you're always at odds, and there's always something, and you're always coming head to head with other people, it's not indicative of, well, everybody's always wrong, and I'm always right. It's not indicative, well, I'm just an alpha personality. I've heard that one. It's not, it's not indicative of anything else except this, that your relationship with God is not what it should be. If you struggle with loving your brothers, if you struggle with treating them with love, if you struggle having a good relationship with other people, it is no indicator of anything more than your very own walk with God. Your relationship with God. And if you struggle with your interactions with other people, the only place according to this text that we can go to to say, well, here's where the problem lies, is your relationship with God. It's time for some of us to stop looking at the wrong evidence. There are lots of good markers along the outside. There are lots of marginal markers along the outside about where we stand in the family. But our level of love is more than a marker. It's the standard. Nothing says family quite like love. You know, there's no family trait that tells the world we follow Christ like love does. There's no family trait that presents stronger evidence of our standing with God than our love for the brethren. And I want to close a couple chapters later. 1 John chapter 4. Turn over just a, a page to the right. 1 John chapter 4. And I want to read a few verses in case you have missed how important this is to John. I want to read some verses beginning in verse 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. These are not my words. I'm not saying this more strongly than I should. I am simply reading what John wrote, and I'll read verse 8 again. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, 
because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. In case you were wondering if this is significant in John's mind, in case you're wondering if this is significant in Christ's mind, it is. Don't miss what matters the most. Don't miss the core by focusing on the margins. Your relationship with others indicates the level of your relationship with God. Don't walk around in darkness like you aren't part of the family. Turn on the light. Let the truth that's in Christ and in you affect how you love others. Nothing says family more clearly than love. So my questions today are, can your interactions with God's people be characterized by a loving spirit? Is there anyone in your sphere that others know, well, we just don't get along? Are there others that cross your path that you struggle with your attitude toward? Is there a member of the family that you have a tough time with? Take a step back and evaluate your relationships through the test of love. If you find yourself flunking this test, you might want to evaluate your standing with the Father because your level of love reflects your relationship with God. And I don't know how this applies I personally found many applications. I had to get on my knees before the Lord. So God, it's not even just that I'm actively hating, but my indifference toward others at times is an indicator, a marker of darkness. And I don't want to be in darkness. I don't want to be in hatred. I want to be in the light. And I want to show love the way that Christ has placed and planted in me, shed abroad in my heart the ability to have love, that's how I want to love. Eastside Baptist Church, nothing will strengthen our church like getting back to the core trait of being a member of the family, and that's love. For those that aren't members of Eastside Baptist Church, I want to ask you, if your life lived in the light or in the dark. Because until Jesus Christ saves you from your sin, you have no hope to live and walk in love. He came and died on a cross as we just read in 1 John 4. God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for us. And our sins were more than we can pay. But when Christ died on the cross, he paid for our sins for us. And the only thing we have to do is receive that payment. And we can be saved. And then we get to begin our journey of walking in love like Jesus Christ did. But until that happens for you, you'll stumble in darkness. Today is the day if you don't know that you're a member of the family... As soon as we begin invitation, let me encourage you to step forward and come talk to me. Or even after the service, come talk to me. Because I want you to walk in the light. I want you to be a member of the family. Because there's nothing like being a member of the family 
and having those family traits. When you're a member of God's family, it's good. Nothing says family quite like love. Let's all stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.